What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. It's been a busy week of sports so far, but I want to talk about two things specifically on today's podcast. First up, Pat McAfee's new deal with ESPN. Everyone seems to have an opinion on this, whether they think it's a good deal or a bad deal, whether they think the show is going to get ruined or it's going to get better. But I'm going to break down all the details for you. Then second up, we'll talk about Francis Ngannou. He obviously left the UFC later last year, and he's now signed a deal with the PFL. We'll go through the details of that deal and why it could change combat sports forever. Let's get right to it. All right, so Pat McAfee is officially headed to ESPN. The former NFL player turned YouTube megastar, contemplated offers from four different networks, but ultimately decided to sign a licensing deal with the worldwide leader in sports that will pay him more than eight figures per year, according to Andrew Marshad of the New York Post. For those that aren't mathematicians like myself, eight figures, $10 million or more per year. Now, McAfee is leaving behind a lot. He has a four-year, $120 million deal with FanDuel today. He's only in the second year of that deal. But he is going to maintain complete creative control of the show, and his co-host will be joining him at ESPN2. The deal begins in the fall of 2023, the show will air on ESPN, ESPN Plus, and ESPN's YouTube channel simultaneously. So it'll be on all three of those platforms at the same time. And it will follow ESPN's other morning shows, Get Up from 8 to 10 a.m., then First Take from 10 to 12, and Pat McAfee's show will go after that. Again, on ESPN, ESPN Plus, and ESPN's YouTube channel. Pat McAfee said during his announcement video, we ain't changing a damn thing. But the real question is, why would Pat McAfee do this? I mean, on the surface, he's getting paid $30 million per year by FanDuel alone. That doesn't even count all the other sponsorship deals that he has for the show. McAfee also owns 100% of the company, reporting to no one but himself. That gives him free reign to talk about whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. But like most things, the devil is in the details. So here's everything you need to know. Now, it's no surprise that Pat McAfee has always done things differently. In high school, for example, McAfee needed money to attend a kicking competition in South Florida, so he borrowed $100 from a friend and entered an underground poker tournament in a Pittsburgh restaurant. He then won $1,500 at the tournament, flew to Miami. He then made nine straight field goals from 25 yards to 65 yards and received a scholarship offer from West Virginia the very next morning. And this wasn't just some gimmick or luck. Pat was legitimately a good football player. McAfee graduated West Virginia's all-time leader in made point-after attempts with 210 and career points with 384. He was then selected by the Indianapolis Colts in the seventh round of the 2009 NFL Draft to be a punter, and he finished his career with a trophy case full of awards and accolades. That includes first-team All-American in college in 2008, NFL All-Rookie Team in 2009. He was a two-time NFL Pro Bowler in 2014 and 2016. And he was also a first-team All-Pro, the best punter in the NFL in 2014. But then he shocked the world when McAfee announced his decision to retire from the NFL at the age of 29 to join Barstool Sports as a full-time sports media personality, creating content, doing podcasts. Here's a hilarious Twitter quote that he often references on his show, and it gives you an idea of the feedback he was getting at the time. You have to remember, he had a $6 million contract with the Colts at the time, and he was leaving that behind at the age of 29. The NFL isn't a sport that people just say, hey, screw it, I'm done, I'm going to go be a podcaster. You make your millions while you can. You make them kick you off the field. 
This tweet read, Pat McAfee with the biggest L of 2017, leaving the NFL behind, getting paid $2.5 million a year to punt, in all caps, to be a writer at Barstool Sports. I repeat, L. And it wasn't just fans that were perplexed at McAfee's decision to retire. ESPN's Mike Wilbon famously ridiculed McAfee for leaving a $6 million NFL contract behind. Make them tear the uniform off of you, he said on ESPN's part in the interruption. Look, someone needs to stage an intervention. People that know this guy, get to him now. Make him put his helmet back on and get to camp. But Pat McAfee was confident in his decision. He had 700,000 social media followers at the time and was selling merchandise online. He had just completed a stand-up comedy tour throughout several states and was even hosting his own radio show. Although, things didn't exactly go as planned. He left Barstool Sports after just two years because he felt he was being, and I quote, disrespected by the business people in the building. And that's when he decided to launch the Pat McAfee Show by himself in 2018. Now, McAfee has since become one of the biggest names in sports. I think we all know that. He has nearly 5 million followers across social media and another 2.2 million subscribers on YouTube. His daily sports show, The Pat McAfee Show, averages 316 viewers per episode, including live viewers and those that watch it afterwards. And the Aaron Rodgers Jets announcement on his show drew nearly 500,000 concurrent viewers, people that were watching it at the same time, 500,000. Absolutely amazing. He has 2.8 million followers on Twitter, 2.2 million followers on YouTube, 1.3 million on Instagram, and 750,000 on TikTok. And this level of attention has brought plenty of money too. McAfee has worked with dozens of partners over the years, including companies like Google, SeatGeek, Cash App, Manscaped, Roman, and 5-Hour Energy. And he even donated $6 million to various causes in 2021 after signing a four-year, $120 million deal with leading sportsbook operator FanDuel. But this is where ESPN comes in. Pat and his wife, Samantha, recently had their first child, and McAfee has frequently mentioned his desire to scale back his workload so he can be at home more often. This is because McAfee still handles a lot of things that network talent wouldn't typically have to deal with. For example, when I went on his show last year, Pat literally direct messaged me himself on Twitter to book it and even spent time with me going back and forth on potential topics to talk about. Now, of course, he's hired some great people to help out with ad sales, operations, production, and other stuff like that. But when you're the sole owner of a business, everyone knows there's never really a day off. And some people are already making comments about the money too. They say Stephen A. Smith is ESPN's highest paid daily contributor at $12 million in annual salary. And they question why Pat McAfee would give up a $30 million annual deal with FanDuel for that. But the truth is that $30 million in annual revenue from FanDuel is just that. It's just revenue. It doesn't account for employee salaries, production costs, office space, travel expenses, talent fees to pay people to come onto the show, or any of the other multi-million dollar expenses to run the show today. And in my opinion, this still seems to offer Pat the best of both worlds. For example, in addition to be paying a rumored $15 million annual salary by ESPN, they're going to take on more of the show's behind-the-scenes operational duties, and they'll drastically, drastically expand his audience. Now look, I know that doesn't sound realistic given that he's one of the biggest names in sports already, but people underestimate the reach of ESPN. For example, the Pat McAfee show will immediately be in 74 million households. It will be broadcasted at bars, restaurants, and gyms across the country. ESPN Plus has already had 25 million subscribers so far. ESPN's YouTube channel has 9.3 million subscribers, significantly more than Pat McAfee. 
ESPN's Twitter account has 45 million followers. Again, way more than Pat McAfee. Their Instagram account has 25 million followers and they have 36 million followers on TikTok compared to Pat McAfee's 750,000. So look, my point is simple. I wouldn't criticize this deal too much because whether Pat McAfee stays at ESPN for two years or 20 years, he's going to emerge with a much bigger audience when this is all done while still maintaining 100% ownership of his company. And at the end of the day, it looks like he'll probably spend much more time at home with his family. And that's what this is all about. All right, everyone, a quick interruption from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Hyperice. So Hyperice is one of the fastest growing companies in sports. You've probably seen their products by now, but they are the official recovery technology partner of the NBA, MLB, PGA Tour, and UFC. And a bunch of different athletes all around the world are using their stuff, like Patrick Mahomes, Erling Holland, people like that. Now, I'm super pumped about this partnership for one reason. I've been using Hyperice products for years. I use their massage gun and their heated back wrap several times each week. Anytime I have a tough workout or my back's hurting me a little bit, I throw it on and it is a game changer for my health and wellness. I think the coolest part for me personally is that I can use the same stuff that professional athletes are using. The same thing that Patrick Mahomes uses on the sideline to loosen up his muscles, I can use at home. The same thing Erlen Holland uses on his back to loosen it up before bed, I can use at home. I think that's absolutely incredible and I highly recommend their stuff. So the best part is they are giving all of you, my podcast listeners, 15% off your order. So start recovering like a professional athlete today. Go to hyperice.com and use code Joe15 for 15% off your order. That's Joe, J-O-E, 15, all caps at hyperice.com. 15% off your order. Let's get back to today's episode. All right, the final topic for today is Francis and Ganu. Now, whether you're an MMA fan, a UFC fan or whatever or not, it doesn't really matter. His story is absolutely incredible and what he is doing from a business perspective to change the sport is just as fascinating. So for those of you that don't know, Francis was born in Africa. He made his way over from Cameroon. His father was abusive when he was younger. He basically had to grow up at a very young age. He did full-time jobs from the age of like 10 to 12. He was earning $2 per day. He was living on a one-bedroom house, dirt floor with 10 to 15 other family members, but he wanted a better life for himself and he wanted to be a boxer. So he started the journey. He literally just started walking from Cameroon. And if you don't know where Cameroon is, it is on the western side of Africa. It's kind of in the middle. And he just started walking through the Sahara Desert. He ends up taking buses, but it's not like he could just take a plane. He didn't have a passport. He didn't have any of that stuff. So he just starts walking the 3,000 miles north towards Morocco. He gets arrested a bunch of times. He gets picked up. He gets dropped off back in the Sahara Desert. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have water. It's 100 degrees. Really, 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 really hard journey. At one point, I think he's even said that he's had to bribe officers He's had to cover the little money that he had in plastic and swallow it so they couldn't take it. He was crossing the Sahara Desert with 25 other people in the same car in 110 degree Fahrenheit heat. And if you Google it, you can see some of these pictures. I know that National Geographic has been there before and they've taken pictures of the people crossing the Sahara Desert. It's basically like these old Toyota pickups and there's literally 25 people in the bed of the truck. They don't fit. They're standing on top of each other. It looks really uncomfortable. They're hot as hell. You get the point. But what does Francis say? He says, I didn't have another option. I couldn't go back. So he keeps going. He keeps going. He keeps going. He tries to cross the border a bunch of times from Morocco. He isn't successful. He gets dropped back off in the desert, dropped back off in the desert, dropped back off in the desert. He keeps trying though and keeps trying, keeps trying. Eventually he realizes that you can cover the boat in this sort of film or this covering and the radars won't be able to pick it up for a period of time. 
So he does that. He eventually makes it halfway across the water and he takes this like you cell phone that he was able to get off of someone on this raft and he starts paddling in the Spanish waters. When he gets halfway through, he uses the flip phone to call the Red Cross and they pick him up, arrest him upon his arrival. But because he was in the waters already, he is brought over to the Spanish side. So he makes his way there. He eventually goes and he wants to go to Germany, but he stops in Paris. He gets out there and he stays in Paris. He's living on the streets, in a garage, everything like that. He eventually walks into a gym to try to train for boxing. You got to imagine this at this point, right? Like he's homeless. He's been on this journey for a year now. It's absolutely insane. He finds a gym. He starts to train. The owner actually is the one that convinces him to try MMA rather than boxing. And the rest is history. He eventually gets his first UFC contract on his 29th birthday, and he becomes UFC heavyweight champion in the world. That's the easiest way to put it. I don't know his exact record right now, but I know he's fought, you know, 15, 20 times in the UFC. He ended up the champion. He last fought Cyril Gone with a torn ACL. And look, he's an unbelievable fighter. Anyone that's watched him has seen it. He's a huge, huge, huge dude. He's very powerful and he can punch. And the, the interesting thing about Francis is that he doesn't even have like a huge wrestling background. He's really learning still. And he's become one of the best fighters in the world, certainly the best heavyweight UFC champion that we've seen in recent history. And what happens from there? A lot has happened from there is the easiest way to put it. He's got into a bunch of different arguments with the UFC. Most of this is centered around the rights that fighters have and the pay that they're getting. Now, for context, the UFC fighters, they're not allowed to have their own sponsorships in the ring. So you have to wear the UFC clothing. It's not like boxing where you can go in there, you can sell sponsorships for your shorts and get paid through that way. You have to wear the UFC clothing while you're in the ring. They own the ring sponsorships, obviously, on the tarp and so forth, and they make all of that money. That changed a few years ago. The UFC blamed it on that they needed to get more uniform if they wanted a TV deal, which, fine, fair, whatever. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But the point is that the UFC fighters don't get any of that money today. It was lost revenue. So basically, what are they earning? They're earning their fight purse, and it's not a lot. So Francis Ngannou was the UFC heavyweight champion of the world. He fought Cyril Gaon, who he used to train with in, in, in France. I guess this was last year at this point. And guess how much money he made from that fight? This was a massive fight. Some of you probably bought it. I bought it. A bunch of people bought it. He made $600,000 off that fight. $600,000. And you have to remember, this is in a time where Tyson Fury, I think for the same fight in that same time period, made $30 million. So it's just drastically different from the model. They're not earning a percentage of these fights. They're getting these fixed payments. And then depending on what the fight sells, maybe they get a little bump or knockout of the night or something like that, right? But he got $600,000 off that fight, which is drastically underpaid for the performance and the crowd and the viewership that he had for that fight. So Francis decides to sit out. Now, look, this has been going on for a long period of time. They kept trying to get him to sign new contracts and new contracts and new contracts. And I think he had a six-fight contract and he fought it out. And he that's why he did it with the torn ACL, because he just wanted to be done with the UFC. And then the UFC, since he was the defending champion, they basically had a year of his rights to hold him and make him do a rematch. But he had surgery and he was done. So he said, look, I'm not going to do this. I'm not healthy. I'm not going to fight. And he sat it out. Now, the UFC has been trying to get him to do a new deal for a long time. now, And he's been working towards it, too, reportedly. I don't know how much of that was in earnest or what wasn't. But Dana White has had dinner with him. Hunter Campbell has had dinner with him. A bunch of these people have met with him numerous times to try to figure out what he wants from a money perspective and all that kind of stuff. He was offered higher money. Dana White claims he was offered one of the biggest contracts since Brock Lesnar, I think it was, in UFC history. But Francis, I look, I've met with the guy. I've met him multiple times at this point. He's been on the podcast two to three different times. I've met him in person. I've sat down with him for hours at a time. And the one thing that I'll say about Francis is he is principled. He is very, very, very principled. He doesn't give a shit about money. He really doesn't. It seems that way. 
look, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but I did not get that feeling. He does not care about the money. He's very, 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 very principled. And you can sit down with him for two seconds and realize this. When he talks about his journey, when he talks about his upbringing, when he talks about what it took to get to where he is today, that's what he's fighting for. And it was apparently obvious to me that that was the truth. And I think that came out to Dana White too, right? Because it wasn't about the money. He offered him a significant amount of money, millions of dollars per fight. And ultimately what Francis wanted was things that Dana White was unwilling to give. He wanted health insurance. He wanted the ability to sell sponsorships on his own for the uh, stuff he was wearing in the ring. He wanted a seat, not necessarily himself, but a fighter on the board of directors or in these meetings with the UFC owner so he could talk about different issues. He wanted a whole host of different things that Dana White was never going to agree to. They were non-starters for him. So Dana White tried to offer him a decent amount of money and he said no. So what does he do? He becomes a free agent. Dana White says he's not going to fight here anymore. He's a free agent. We're not going to talk to him. And look, this is something that his camp and other people around the UFC and MMA in general have been talking about for months now. His mom was seen wearing a PFL shirt a few months back, and it's been rumored that he was going to sign there. So this isn't a huge surprise, but the details of the deal came out today, and they're pretty damn good. Look, everyone was shitting on him a few months ago when the UFC dropped him and said, we're not going to negotiate with him anymore. They called him an idiot. They said, hey, man, you're trying to do too much. You can't change the sport. You're not freaking Muhammad Ali. What are you doing here? And he signed a great deal. Look, objectively speaking, he signed a really good deal. He signed a two to three fight deal with the PFL. He's going to be paid high seven figures for each fight. And that's guaranteed money. Plus, he's going to get a share of the pay-per-view. He's going to get a share of the ticket revenue, of the merchandise, all that kind of stuff, right? So he's getting a share of the upside, which he wouldn't have gotten in the UFC. He would have never got a high seven figure guarantee in the UFC. So he's making significantly more money. But then he did just a bunch of cool ass shit. His opponents will reportedly get a $2 million guarantee for each fight. He fought for his opponent to get a $2 million guarantee for every fight that he fights. That's admirable stuff. Not only that, but he is going to do a bunch of other stuff for the sport too. He is going to have the opportunity to box, right? Something that the UFC wouldn't traditionally allow. PFL is going to allow him to box and do UFC or MMA at the same time. So we don't know who he's going to fight. Look, there's been rumors that he might fight Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, who knows, but he's going to try to fight. And I think that this is an incredible deal. He's also going to get equity in the company, which is understated, right? Maybe it's a small piece of equity, but an MMA fighter having company equity sitting on the board, he's going to be on the company's advisory board and serve as chairman of PFL Africa. So he's got company equity. He's sitting on the board. He has a chair for expansion to build this organization in Africa, and he has the freedom to compete outside of the league while making high seven figures for every single fight, having health care, being able to wear his own sponsors in the ring, and getting his opponents $2 million each fight guaranteed. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. That's an amazing deal. That's a shot in the heart of the UFC, and this is something that has been coming for a long, long, long time. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say that the PFL is going to overtake the UFC, and we're going to have this war in MMA, and like this is going to change the entire sport. I don't know that to be true. I really don't. But objectively speaking, this is a great deal for Francis, and it's good for other fighters too, to have this kind of movement, not only in the PFL, but these are things that are only going to become more apparent. If you look across sports today, if you look at the NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, they all have unions. And they're able to negotiate revenue share with the leagues, right? So they have these collective bargaining agreements that the unions negotiate for the players and for the league. And they come together and they negotiate these every few years. And it leads to this revenue split where virtually all of those four major sports leagues in the United States split revenue 50-50 or 51-49 or 52-48, whatever it is. But it's about 50-50 for each of those leagues, for the owners and the players. The UFC doesn't have that. 
UFC does not have that. And the fighters won't unionize because they depend on this money to train, to eat, to sleep for their families and so forth. So they're never going to unionize. It's not going to happen. And what have we seen? The UFC is a public company. And it looks like based on different reports, they pay out less than 20% of revenue to fighters, right? So if you're all these other major sports leagues and you're paying out close to 50% of revenue, and then you look at the UFC and you're paying out less than 20% of revenue to the athletes, that's insane. And not only is it insane, it's the most physically demanding sport. Maybe, right, you could say football, but MMA is right there. Look, these guys are putting themselves at risk of dying every time they step into the ring a couple times a year. And what I think Francis did here is he said, I'm going to fight for something for myself, but also bigger than myself. This is for the sport of MMA. This is for all the people that he fights along with and he trains along with. And I think this is monumental when it comes to the sport of MMA in general, but also just over the last 12 months, I don't think there's been anything bigger news-wise. You can laugh at the PFL. You can say it's not the UFC. You can say that he's not going to be fighting real people. Whatever you want to say, maybe it's not even good for the PFL. That's an argument that I can entertain too, right? Is like, this is too much money. It's not great. He's not a big enough star, whatever. Argue what you want. But again, objectively speaking, the things that he got in this deal when it comes to high seven-figure pay, ads on, on his clothes when he walks into the ring, a share of ticket revenue and merchandise and pay-per-views and all of that kind of stuff, equity in the company, competing in boxing matches, sitting on the company's advisory board, and chairman of PFL Africa, like those six, seven, nine things, those are huge things. And they're all things that the UFC wasn't willing to give him. So props to Francis Ngannou. Kudos to you. Kudos to your team. Kudos to your family. Good for you for standing up for yourself, for finding a deal that works for you. This sport is short-lived. It could end tomorrow for you. Go get your money. Do what you got to do. And at the end of the day, no one can accuse you of not looking out for others either. All right, everyone, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. As always, you guys know the deal. We have a gentleman's agreement. Share this podcast with at least one friend. I make all of this content for free to you. It is supported by sponsors and you. So make sure to share this stuff with your friends. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to your podcast. And also do me a favor, rate and review the show. Let me know what you're enjoying so far and so forth. But other than that, I appreciate you guys as always. And we'll talk later this week.